Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, I am back from my vacation, and before I get into all of the economic and market news that happened later in the week, and before I get into the latest by Paul Krugman, let me talk a little bit about my experience at Walt Disney World. And, you know, first of all, the theme park itself really is a monument to capitalism and and what happens in a free society. Not that we're that free or capitalistic anymore, Uh, But we certainly were a lot more so when these theme parks were originally created. But, of course, we still have some vestiges of capitalism that remain uh, in our otherwise socialized uh, society. But certainly in a truly communist country, not, you know, China, which is not really communist, but maybe go back to the old Soviet Union, they would have nothing like a, a Disney World. I mean, that would never even be conceived in a communist system, nor could they even pull it off. Uh, they wouldn't be able to orchestrate all the various uh, components that make the whole thing thing work. You really need a free market. And, of course, what motivated Walt Disney to create Disneyland, the original one out in California, in the first place? I mean, he was motivated by profit. He thought, if I could create a spectacular, unique family entertainment experience, I could make a lot of money doing so. And that is, in fact, what he's done with, uh, with with Disneyland, Disney World, and now all the various other theme parks that have, uh, you know, sprouted up around these parks. And now, of course, the work continues, uh, even though Walt Disney himself is no longer 
around, but of course his legacy is very much a part of the entertainment experience. And I do think it is a great uh, entertainment experience for families. We had a great time there. Uh, Disney puts on a, an excellent show entertaining you throughout the time that that you are there. But the reason I, I'm talking about it is despite the fact that it was really born from capitalism, right, and it wouldn't exist but for the free market, the one attraction that really rubbed me the wrong way was the Hall of Presidents, which is really why I wanted to talk about Disney was to give you my take on this Hall of Presidents. And if you haven't been to that, it's an exhibit where they basically reproduce these mechanical uh, presidents that look like the the actual presidents. And they have them all there on stage from uh, George Washington to uh, Barack Obama. And they really do a wonderful job in bringing these uh, these these fake mechanical presidents to life. I mean, they, they do an excellent job in that respect. But the the exhibit itself is located in Liberty Square in uh, in the Magic Kingdom, and they bill the the show as the the leaders of liberty, right? Because you know they were leaders of America, but they really weren't leaders in liberty. At least the presidents that they featured, uh, because they only really went over maybe half a dozen or so presidents specifically. And I'm going to go over the presidents that they highlighted. But in general, they were not the leaders of liberty. They were the destroyers of liberty. They pretty much omitted from the conversation the presidents that really believed in liberty, individual liberty, and really led the charge in that respect. And they highlighted the presidents who did the most to diminish liberty and diminish freedom. And they focused on uh, the presidents who were, you know, anti-business, you know, the big businesses out to hurt you. And these are the presidents who saved us from these evil businessmen. Now, they started out with George Washington, which I'm not going to fault them for. He was a wonderful president, a great man. And I have no problem with them beginning with the uh, father of our nation. But then after they they went over uh, Washington, they skipped to Andrew Jackson. No, you know, didn't mention anything about Jefferson or Adams, just went over to old Andy Jackson. And I don't have a big problem with Andrew Jackson. I mean, after all, he let the uh, the first bank of the United States go under. So, I mean, he he wasn't, you know, a bad president. But they really only focused on Andy Jackson to highlight the fact that he that he came from humble origins, that he was a regular guy, a man of the people. Right. Uh, Anybody can be president. But they wanted to focus on the fact that he was, you know, a regular guy, not a business leader or wealthy. He was just an average Joe. Right. And so anyway, then they skipped all the way to uh, Abraham Lincoln. And, of course, you know, obviously anybody that is going to highlight the presidents, I mean, it's hard not to highlight what happened under under Lincoln. And obviously a lot of the facts are kind of controversial, but I'm not going to dispute that he was a very significant president and, you know, did some good things and, and some things that weren't so good. And there were certainly there were a lot of bad precedents that came out of the Civil War, like paper money and the income tax. I mean, that's where they first reared their ugly heads. Uh, and the precedent uh, that allowed them to be recreated later on, again, came back to uh, the Civil War. And again, you know, technically, yes, it wasn't a civil war, because in a civil war, you have two sides that are fighting for control of the same country. That wasn't the case in the Civil War. The, the South was not trying to control the Union. They were trying to leave the Union. 
and the North was trying to prevent it. So in that sense, it wasn't really a typical civil war, although it was a, a war. Maybe the war between the states is a more accurate way to refer to it. But again, they also put the typical spin on it that the, the, the war was all about ending slavery and Lincoln ran on a platform of ending slavery. And neither of that is true. I mean, Lincoln was not for ending slavery. He did not run to end slavery. In fact, he didn't free the slaves until 1863. The Emancipation Proclamation happened two years into the war. Uh, so Lincoln had stated that if he could have avoided the war uh, and, you know, by preserving slavery, then he would have done it. I mean, it's certainly you could say the war was fought uh, over the expansion of slavery, but it wasn't fought to end it. But ultimately, it did end it, and that was a good thing. I am not defending slavery. But again, there was a a, a, a revisionist-type historical slant to the way they covered the period. And again, not that I'm defending slavery. I'm not, and I'm glad it's over. Uh, but you know, we need to understand history in its proper perspective, and uh, historians tend to want to re- rewrite it based on their own narrative. But Again, I don't have a big problem with Lincoln. Now I have a problem with everybody that came next, because after Lincoln, they fast forwarded all the way to Teddy Roosevelt. And why did they like Teddy Roosevelt? Because he was the trust buster, right? Because he attacked big business. He protected the little guy from the greedy businessman. This is basically what they were saying when they when they highlighted the achievements of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And then after Teddy Roosevelt, they skipped all the way over to the next Roosevelt, FDR. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, they, they were going on and on about how FDR saved the country, you know, from the greedy businessmen. Uh, we had this uh, collapse and, and he came in and brought us out of the Depression, which, of course, didn't happen. Roosevelt did not bring us out of the Depression. Right? He helped keep he kept create the Depression. Yes, he inherited it. Uh, from Hoover, but then he made it worse. And of course, they don't mention when Roosevelt ran, he ran against the big government of the Hoover administration. He promised to balance the budget. He promised less government, cut government spending, you know, lower taxes. That's what Roosevelt ran on. But when he became elected, he abandoned everything that he ran on and proceeded to expand all the failed policies of Hoover. And basically, you know, shredded the Constitution, you know, packed the Supreme Court. I mean, had all kinds of unconstitutional programs uh, that were enacted. I mean, some of them struck down, rightfully so, uh, but others that should have been struck down weren't. But the Depression didn't end until the Second World War ended. Harry Truman was president when the Depression ended, not Roosevelt. So he didn't get us out of anything. Yes, people went back to work uh, during the Second World War, fighting the war, but that didn't end the Depression. We had a lot of sacrifice going on here on the home front uh, while we were fighting the war and running up huge debts. Uh, but the recovery didn't really start until government dramatically shrank in the years after the ending of hostilities, when government cut spending, when government started to pay back the money it borrowed. That's when the peacetime economy really started to grow. To grow, So we didn't get out of the Depression because of Roosevelt. We got out of the, the Depression despite Roosevelt. And of course, it wouldn't have been a Depression had Roosevelt actually did what he ran on. Had he actually let the market function, uh, then the, it would have been over. Had Hoover 
let the free market function, like Calvin Coolidge did, who obviously one of the presidents they didn't mention, among many others that were quite good. Grover Cleveland comes to mind, others that really did respect liberty. But uh, when Coolidge did nothing, of course, what would have been a Great Depression had Coolidge done uh, what um, what what Hoover did. Instead, it's barely a footnote in the history books uh, because the free market was allowed to work. So they spent all this time talking and praising FDR. And then after FDR, they went all the way to the left's next favorite president, John F. Kennedy. Right. No mention of anybody else. Went FDR to John F. Kennedy. And, you know, they they showed Kennedy um, and, you know, obviously they showed scenes from the funeral and then. They went all the way forward to Barack Obama. And that's pretty much it. Um, so the last four presidents or that, that, that they highlighted, Democrats, you know, Roosevelt uh, and then Kennedy and then Obama or the last three. Uh, you know, they showed some photographs, images of uh, Lyndon Johnson. I think they did show a, a, a screenshot of Ronald Reagan just as they were doing a montage of a few things. But, you know, some of the presidents actually came to life and speak. And those are the ones that that did, the ones that I just mentioned. And again, it's just they highlighted the destroyers of liberty, the presidents that did the most to expand government, the size of government, the scope of government. And of course, whenever you expand government, you contract liberty. And, you know, they started off by talking about you know, the origins of the United States and kind of what made us unique, which was true. But then, of course, they highlight all these presidents that removed all that, that destroyed what the founding fathers had created. And, of course, this is typical of the type of brainwashing that goes on in American public schools, this type of revisionist government history, uh, trying to you know rewrite history along this liberal narrative that uh, freedom is bad, capitalism is bad, and that we need big government, we need redistribution of wealth, we need lots of regulations and lots of subsidies, because without you know the, the, the help of government, right, we'd all be exploited, we'd all be victims of some greediest, greedy capitalist system. Let me um, go forward and talk a little bit about what was going on in the markets. And of course, the stock market ended the week on a negative note. The Dow was down 279 points, the Nasdaq down 75. The Dow now, I believe, is negative on the year. Um, At one point, it was down about 350 points on Friday. And again, everybody is looking for excuses, right? Some people were blaming it on Greece. Some people were blaming on a, a decline in China. But of course, nobody wants to accept the fact that maybe it's got nothing to do with what's going on in other countries and everything to do with the problems that we have here in the United States. So people want to pretend that everything is perfect in the United States. And so if anything goes wrong, it's because of some problem in some other part of the world that somehow is tangentially affecting us. Uh, But people are making excuses, just like they're using the weather as an excuse for the bad economic data. And I want to get into some of the economic data that came out Uh, The worst of it was on Thursday when it comes to the housing starts, where the numbers for both starts and permits were way, way below estimates. And, of course, we were supposed to get a big bounce back in March because of the bad weather from February. They were looking for housing starts of 1.04 million units. And instead, we got 0.926, which was barely above the number we got from February. So just a slight increase 
in housing starts, even though they were expecting a big increase, we got a slight increase. Now, in permits, right, permits, they were actually expecting a small decrease. And instead, we got a larger decrease in in permits than they were looking for. They were looking for one point. 085 million and we got 1.039 million. And of course, permits have nothing to do with the weather, right? Because you're just taking out a permit. You're not actually doing anything. You can file, you know, for a permit in the cold weather or the snow. But the fact that so that, that we didn't get as many permits being filed for following this cold winter, right, shows that maybe a lot of the decline had nothing to do uh, with with the weather. So that was the first bit of negative economic news. That, that came out during the week. And I think that also helped weigh on the markets. We did get an, a backup in jobless claims on Thursday, of course, too. They were looking for 280,000, which would have been a slight drop from the upwardly revised 282,000. Instead, we got 294,000, so uh, 14,000 claims higher. So unemployment moving back up towards that 300,000 level. I think we're going to get back up there. But on Friday, we got some more economic news. We did get leading economic indicators, which came in a little bit below. They were looking for 0.3 following the 0.2 uh, from um, February. Well, what happened was February's 0.2 was revised to up 0.1. And March's came in at 0.2 instead of what was expected, 0.3. So not only weaker than expected, leading economic indicators for the current month, but they revised last month's indicators to an even lower 0.1. On the CPI, this is the interesting thing. And this was reported as good news. Not because not that the CPI you know, exceeded or missed estimates. It actually came on target, right? They were looking for up 0.2, and we got up 0.2. But it was the core, right? This is the CPI when you strip out food and energy they were looking for 0.1 for the core. And instead, the core was up 0.2, right? Twice what they had expected. And all day long, you know, on CNBC, they were referring to this because I was watching it on the plane. I was flying home on Friday. And so I was able to watch some of the news. And they kept talking about the better than expected inflation data. Better than expected? Inflation being higher than they thought was better than expected. This is how they look at it. Higher inflation is good. It's better. See, it's not worse. And if you actually want to know why core inflation was up so much, although 0.2 is nothing compared to what it's going to be, but what was leading the way in the core was increases in rents and health care. And that's good news that your rent went up. I mean, normally, if you if your rent get raised, you're pissed off about that. No one is excited that their rent was raised. Hey, honey, I got good news. The landlord just raised our rent. See, most people are upset when the landlord raises the rent, but not the economists. They think it's a good thing. They think it's great news that rents are going up. Same thing with medical bills. Hey, it costs more money to go to the doctor. Hey, that's good news. The news was better than expected because medical costs were higher than expected. This is the topsy-turvy world that we live in. Uh, But some people, I think, are trying to attribute maybe the sell-off in the market on Friday to this 
hotter than expected core CPI, which maybe somehow indicates that the economy is stronger than, you know, that we thought or that the Fed is more likely to maybe raise rates because now it has to contain inflation. What these people haven't figured out is that this is all a bluff. I mean, the Fed could talk about why it might raise interest rates in response to higher inflation, but it's never going to do it. I mean, it's going to tolerate the higher inflation, just like it tolerated the lower unemployment. They're going to move that 2% goalpost further and further away every time they approach it. But people still haven't figured that out. So um, that, that, that uh, that does weigh on the markets. The dollar, though, despite that, the dollar had a very, very weak week. Uh, and the euro finished above 108. The Canadian dollar had its strongest week maybe in years. Uh, it did surrender some of the gains on Friday. Can- Canada also had its highest core inflation, I think, in five years. So maybe they're considering that good news. Well, I think the good news is going to get better for the Canadians because I think inflation is going to pick up. But I also think it looks like the Canadian dollar has, in fact, bottomed. And I've been talking about that for a while. So there could be a very big rally going forward. And not only that currency, but several other currencies as well. Um, that are likely going to be experiencing good news in the form of higher inflation. And as a result, they are going to be raising their interest rates. But clearly, clearly, the weakness in the stock market, the weakening in the economic data, as I have repeated many times, makes the June rate hike less and less likely in the minds of traders. Now, in reality, it's not making it less likely because the probability was already zero, right? But most people didn't know that. They, they thought the Fed might do it. So the people that actually believe the Fed now, based on the data, again, are pushing the rate hikes back to September. But again, the data is not going to improve between now and September. It's only going to get worse. And I think as that data continues to reveal itself, and the narrative uh, slowly untangles of the U.S. recovery and higher interest rates, I think this decline in the dollar is going to gather a lot more momentum. Speaking about the myth of the U.S. recovery, the person who is, I guess, the biggest poster boy for that myth and helping to perpetuate it is none other than Paul Krugman. And I wanted to point out his latest piece That old-time economics, right? I guess after that old-time religion. And once again, Paul Krugman is patting himself on the back for having been right and criticizing everybody else who, uh, you know, was against him, and they're all wrong, particularly Europe. And that's one of the favorite punching boys of uh, Paul Krugman is Europe. But it's interesting, of course, that Europe has been a very Keynesian-ish, you know, society that many of these European nations— have had all sorts of big governments that you would think Paul Krugman would love. They run big deficits. Uh, they have lots of uh, redistributive programs, welfare states, all kinds of stuff, yet they're in crises. And somehow Paul Krugman thinks Europe proves that Keynesianism works, that big government and deficit spending works, when in fact Europe proves the opposite. Europe is in trouble Precisely because they did all the things that Paul Krugman thinks are so great. But, of course, the general perception today is that since the financial crisis, right, America is in better shape than Europe because we took Paul Krugman's advice and followed that old-time economics called Keynesianism, and Europe rejected it. Right? And perception, again, is not reality. 
And what Paul Krugman does in this is he references an article by Wolfgang Schäbel, who is the um, the finance minister in Germany. I wish we had a guy like that here. And he's basically highly critical of this. And he basically says that Wolfgang Schäbel, um, he, he says he re- in referring to this article, which he linked to, he said, it's a flat out rejection of everything we know about macroeconomics. That's right, because macroeconomics is BS. It is um, astronomical. Is, it is the astrology of astronomy, right? It is complete nonsense, and it ought to be rejected, you know? And it goes, of all the insights that Europeans experience these past five years, confirms, right? As if Europe's experience confirms that Keynesianism works because they didn't try it, and we did, and it worked spectacularly in America. Well, yes, we tried it, and it didn't work. See, if you read the, the Schrabel's article, and I would suggest you do that. I have it on my Europe Pacific uh, website, europac.com. That article is there. It's so it, it, you can click on it and and read it. But it's an excellent article, and the guy makes a lot of good points, particularly about uh, not being tempted to go with the quick fix, the short term fix of stimulus, because it has very severe long term consequences. That's what Paul Krugman doesn't understand. You know, it's like little kids have a hard time grasping the consequences of what they do, which is why, you know, the parents make decisions for kids, because uh, they they don't have enough intellect or experience to really understand the consequences. Well, in that sense, Paul Krugman has never grown up because he is a little kid when it comes to economics. He can't think beyond the immediate. And so all he sees is, oh, the U.S. economy is doing great. And Europe is still in recession and we're outgrowing them. And it must be because we stimulated and those idiots stuck to austerity. Right. And also, if you look at the article uh, uh, by Schrabel, he's talking about why we have to cut down on deficit spending, why more debt isn't the solution. We have to, you know, repair our balance sheets. He's saying everything right. What Paul Krugman is saying is we need more debt. But all of these countries in Europe You know, all these countries in Europe are loaded up with debt. That's how they got into so much trouble. I mean, if debt was going to fuel expansions, then Europe never would have got into trouble in the first place because they had plenty of debt. The problem is the debt was the problem. And Germany isn't stupid enough to think that debt is the answer for a problem of debt. You don't get out of debt by borrowing more money. But that's what Paul Krugman thinks. But what you can do with borrowing more money is dig yourself into a deeper hole and blow yourself a bigger bubble which is the only thing that we've accomplished. And it's going to be very interesting to see Paul Krugman's reaction when the U.S. economy slips back into recession and Europe is growing. Because now what is he going to say? Because I do believe that even though Europe's approach wasn't perfect, it was much better than ours. And we are going to suffer the consequences of our uh, politically expedient and ill-guided stimulus championed by Paul Krugman. Now, of course, initially, Krugman's reaction is going to be, well, we just need more stimulus. It doesn't prove I'm wrong, but it just proves we, we didn't do enough of it because it was working and it just wasn't enough. But it was never working. It just creates the illusion that it's working because all Krugman looks at is the government numbers, these the, the, the rigged CPI numbers, or he just looks at the stock market or the housing market. But he wants to deny what's actually going on beneath the surface, which is the destruction of the economy, particularly for the middle class and the poor, which, you know, he he pretends to champion. But he's going to try to say that, well, we just need more of it. 
But more of it is not going to work, especially if I'm right and the dollar drops and all of a sudden these inflation numbers really start to pick up. And now the official measures of inflation don't have a one handle or maybe even a two handle, but a three handle or a four handle. And imagine that if official inflation doubles from where it is now. Imagine how bad unofficial inflation is, because right now they're claiming there's practically no inflation and we're all experiencing it. Uh, you know, in, in, in a rather dramatic fashion. I don't. I forget if I mentioned this this example on my last podcast, but I know I just I got my bill uh, from my pool service that we hire every you know every summer. We have a, a service that cleans the pool. Uh, they change the chemicals. They do whatever they do, but they increased the price from last year by ten and a half percent. That's just in one year. It's the exact same service, but it's ten and a half percent more expensive. I mean, does that happen in an environment where there's no inflation? Why would they be jacking the prices up like that? I'm sure that they're dealing with higher costs for their chemicals or higher, uh, you know, health care costs for their employees, whatever it is. But they're just passing it on to me and and, and raising prices. But and this is going on in an environment where there's no inflation. Imagine how expensive it's going to be to clean my pool when we have four or five percent inflation. But that's what's coming. And it's going to be impossible for Paul Krugman to to continue to declare victory in the face of all that overwhelming evidence that the policies have been a complete and abject failure. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.